Hey, welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. This is Jeremiah Johnson once again with you. We are on episode 49. This is going to be a verse-by-verse edition with Rick Maynard. Welcome back as always, Rick. Thank you again. We're trying to hammer away at 2 Samuel chapter 24 is where we left off last time, uh, verse somewhere in there. You're going to take it away and lead us, Rick, so go ahead. Okay. Well, we read verse 15 last week, and I I won't uh, rehash everything there, but a couple of things I wanted to say. Uh, So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning till the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died, so that's from the north to the south. Uh, 70,000 that are paying the price for David's uh, disobedience to the Lord about having a census. So uh, we mentioned that uh, David's heart had been lifted up or he was so concerned about how many he had and then how many people he had, and then God took away 70,000 of them. So the very thing, God knows where we are. You know, he knows when, uh, if he's going to punish us for something, he knows what's important to us. He knows just exactly what to do. Uh, to take care of us. Now, the only thing I want to say about that, uh, it says to the end of the designated time, so it doesn't tell us exactly um, how long it took for 70,000 people to die. Oh, okay. But, and again, you can read all kinds of commentaries, and they kind of go everywhere. One of them says, uh, there's like eight different things that I ran across. One says from morning till midday. One of them says one hour, 24 hours, from sunrise to sunset, three days to the beginning of the third day, half a day, and nine hours. So there's all kinds of feelings hmm. about some of the things that are said and what. But uh, the interesting thing about that is that all of those are pretty short times. So I don't know what kind of plague you know, God sent that was so fast-acting yeah. that you could take 70,000 people really— it looks like the longest period that anybody came up with was three days. It was like the Thanos finger snap uh, in uh, Avengers. No, oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, you lost me. Just, there, I'm, but... I'm getting non-Christian. Sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah, back I, to Jesus. I have seen <laughs> some of the Avengers, but I'm not that close. So, but uh, but anyway, you know, I don't I don't know what kind of plague, but God can do yeah whatever God wants to do. So hmm. I don't know if it was a. A leprosy type thing, you know, I think of, uh, they talk about chemical warfare, you know, spreading viruses and things to take out, you know, great armies uh, with viruses. Uh, God knew exactly what to do. So whatever what, it was. What, what what was it with the other plague with, um, obviously not in regards to God's people, but the, you know, when they put the blood on the doorpost and then the firstborn of right, all that. Right. What was the time frame of that one? I don't know what the time frame was or if it even told us how many you know, died in that, but that was an overnight thing. I mean, they yeah. put the they put the blood on because it talked about you know um, uh, having the meal, you know, sharing the meal and putting the blood on the doorpost, and that night. So I don't know how many died, but that night, overnight, is is all it took for that one wow. to happen. So uh, it is pretty amazing, especially right, yeah. you, you know in those times, in our times where we know about chemical warfare and things. 70,000 wouldn't be a big deal to wipe out in a day. Yeah. But it's pretty amazing. But whatever, Yeah, like you said, whatever it was, uh, it was aggressive yes. and swift, whether oh, yeah. an hour or nine hours. And So next time you're getting out your Christian board games and you get out the pick-a-plague board game to play, you know, think through all that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pick-a-plague. Well, you might be onto something there. That might be something for uh, modern Christian dads. Yeah, there, right. So. <laughs> okay. Wrong podcast, yeah. sorry. 24-16. 
When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because, the calam- because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Arana, uh, the Jebusite. Now, uh, Jerusalem had been the last place, or the first place, I'm sorry, the last place numbered, and it was the last place uh, for the plague to strike. So this plague was widespread. It wasn't all just uh, God came into one community and wiped them out, uh, but it had been spread around to different towns. And so now the angel of the Lord is at Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, again, the corresponding verse in Chronicles is 21.16, 1 Chronicles 21.16. David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with a drawn sword in his hand extended over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, vision that was. I don't know if everyone could see this angel. I don't know if it was... Uh, we know, we'll read on here in a minute, but we know Arana and his sons saw this. So I don't know if everyone could see it, but if you can imagine the terror of looking up, and I doubt that it was probably, you know, an angel the size of a man up there in the sky someplace holding a sword. Uh, I would think this is probably some kind of huge uh, vision wow. that uh, the people can see. So I don't know who all saw it. It doesn't give us that information, but... Um, and and I, it's Jerusalem, so this is the sacred ground. You know, I, I mean, it's not to say God doesn't love everyone equally, but Jerusalem was, you know, the sacred place. Mm-hmm. And the angel comes there, and then it says God was grieved. And we think, you know, you look at that, and it's like, well, why is God grieved? It was God's decision to do it. Uh-huh. You know, he would be grieved with me. Why is he grieved with himself? Well, I think God is grieved any time that he has to punish us. Right. You know, it's it's like parents. I mean, with exceptions, there are parents who want to beat their kids. <laughs> or, yeah. You know, but generally speaking, I know the old line, this is going to hurt you or hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, then, you know, why don't you just hold off and not do it at all because I don't want to hurt yeah. you, you know, kind of thing. But I had to discipline my kid the other day, and I remember, well, I remember just saying, I just need you to listen to what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. If you just do that, you don't have to be disciplined. Right, right. It's pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, well. Same thing God says to us, right? right. Just, That's exactly right. I just need you to listen. Yeah. Well, and we think, you know, do we really think that God or our parents or whoever is happy about discipline? You know, God doesn't want to discipline us. He wants us to be obedient. And so, you know, it looks, it says God looked and he was grieved over what he basically had to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that he got enjoyment out of it. But um, uh, anyway, he, he says, when David saw the angel, uh, the verse 17, when David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. And... This is David, and we've already had one instance, so we won't rehash it again, but we've already had one instance of David saying, hey, this was me, and, but he comes back again. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. And this was, you know, Saul had done some of the same things and had to confess, but I want to I read this is out of uh, 
1 Samuel 15, 24. This is in reference to Saul when Saul had sinned. And it's almost the same thing, but there's an exception there. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, so he's talking to Samuel here, I have sinned, I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. So it sounds like, well, he's basically saying the same thing that, that David said. You know, it's me that has sinned. But then he goes on and he says, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. So the difference between Saul's confession and David's confession, David doesn't put any excuse in there at all. He just says, I sinned, it was my fault, I have no one else to blame. I mean, those are the kind of words. Saul comes in and says, well, I sinned, but, but you know, I was afraid of the people, and I was yeah. afraid of what they might do to me, you know. And it would be, again, if we put this in today's uh, context, it would be uh, you as pastor of the church. You know, if you uh, do something wrong and you go before the Lord— you know, one thing would be to say, I've sinned, you know, I'm sorry, God, for what I've done. It was me. Don't let the people suffer for this. Mm-hmm. But if you approach it like like Saul did, you would come in and say, well, I have sinned, but, but Lord, you know how those people are in the church. Yeah. You know, you know that they drove me to this or, or whatever. But David is um, uh, confessing and taking full responsibility as opposed to what Saul does. And, you know, the blame game has gone on since the garden. Yeah. You know, that was the initial, <laughs> you know, that woman that you gave me. So he, he blames the woman and he blames God because God's the one that gave him the woman, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and she blames the devil. So everybody's blaming somebody else for what, they, uh, for what they've done. And he even says, which I find a little odd here, though, he says, uh, let it be me and my family. So he's even taking it to the point of let oh, me yeah. and my family suffer as opposed to the other people suffering. So, um, and then in, I, I want to read this as Moses' words kind of pertaining to this same thing. Uh, he's dealing, this is from Exodus thirty-two, thirty-two. He says, now if you would, please forgive their sin. In other words, he's, you know, don't take this on them. But then he says, if not, please blot me out from your book. I mean, Moses is to the extent that he's saying, I would rather go to hell than to have all these other people yeah. go to hell. Blot me out. And I, I, I talked to the Sunday school class Sunday morning, and I used to say this at Willowcrest a lot. You know, we, we've had Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames and, you know, all those mm-hmm. kind of productions. <laughs> and, you know, they always have the scene where the— uh, the angel is standing there with the book, you know, and he opens the book and he says, uh, your name is not written in the book. And But there's a lot of reference in the Bible that says your name is blotted out. And I thought about that in the, the sense that, you know, when you have a uh, baby that's born, that baby's name goes in the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's saved, in other words. I mean, he's heaven bound if something should happen uh, in whatever that age of accountability is, you know, he's covered. So I I thought, isn't it even a sadder case that your name is there and got blotted out? Blotted out, yeah. That's powerful. That that you could stand before God someday and he could say, you know what, you were headed here. And at some time, and I don't know when that time is, but at some time I had to take your name out of the book. Yeah. You were there. 
you yep. were headed you were headed the right direction at some point in your life and so you know and and again you can argue that as you get older you know god doesn't blot your name out if he writes it there it's there you know kind of thing right but, uh, but on that uh on that note i was sad another day by uh I, I, there's certain things i like one of which is ufc mm-hmm. so there's a ufc fighter i don't need to mention his name because probably everyone listening unless you're a ufc old school fan but uh was known for being a christian came out with a, a testimonial book it was really powerful i read it i actually gave it to some other guys that were non-christians mm-hmm. uh you know to share and then i just saw on the news the other day that he's got a restraining order because he's divorcing his wife and getting in trouble for physically abusing, right. you know, co- according to reports, et cetera, and right. has not necessarily been pronounced guilty of that yet. Um, but you're like, man, you, you had such a great testimony. You had, right. uh, you were serving Jesus and what's going on here? You know, like h- how do you flip from one extreme to the other? But right. it happens. Right. Well, there's scripture it says better to have not known at all than to know and then turn away, you know? And so, uh, you know, we're not going to get into all the, uh, is your name there? Can your name be removed and all that? But, but, right. but for David and for Moses in these cases, they're so adamant about it that it's almost like if, if I have to go to hell to save other people, then, you know, then I'll sacrifice. And that's a man. I don't know that I can say that, you know, um, I, I value my own life so much. It's like, can I say that about other people, <laughs> you know, let me be cursed so that they will know, but. Anyway, we'll move on, 2418. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Uh, again, First Chronicles talks about this, says uh, the angel of the Lord ordered Gad. Uh, so he's talking to Gad to do this. Gad is not acting on his own. Gad doesn't think, uh, you know, I'm a great man of wisdom. Uh, this is God speaking to Gad. I get those confused when we're talking about God and Gad here, but anyway, uh, it's God speaking to Gad. Uh, and I, I talked about this again the other day, that uh, Gad didn't claim, you know, I have some great gift of discernment or whatever. He just was a man who God spoke to, who God used uh, to talk to David. And and one of the things I, I listened to uh, a pastor the other day talking about uh, the discerning of spirits, and people say, uh, you know, I have the gift of discernment. And they look at that like that uh, I can tell, you know, God speaks to me about somebody that's going through this or going through that, and they speak about that. And this guy said most of the time when people say uh, they have to gift, have the gift of discernment, that's saying I have the gift of gossip, you know. I want to know things about people, and, you know, I want to share those things. And the Bible doesn't even say that there's a gift of discernment. It talks about the gift of discerning between spirits. So it's not a gift of discernment like you know things about people. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. you know, now you can have that. a gift of a word of knowledge or, you know, the Lord can speak to me that somebody's going through something and, you know, I need to pray over that. I, I'm not saying that, but sometimes that gift of discernment that like people like to claim mm-hmm. uh, is not really that at all they're just uh i hate to say it but they're just nosy you know they just want to yeah. know things so uh, it's it's kind of like the uh, when i worked on the ambulance service you know you have ambulance chasers everybody wants to 
that's what clogs up the traffic on the interstate is not the accident itself. It's the people who slow down to look, you know. So, uh, so the gift of discernment, that's not something Gad uh, claims here. He hears from God. So now this threshing floor of Arana is uh, Mount Moriah, and we mentioned this a little bit last week, but if you look at uh, historically what a lot of the, the Jewish scholars will say, that this is the same site that Adam built the altar, and it's the same site that Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices, that it's the same site that Noah uh, heard from God when Noah built an altar, it's the same place that Abraham built the altar for Isaac, the same place that David builds the uh, altar on the threshing floor, and then it's the site of the the temple. And so uh, this... Same place? Same place. Okay, wow. And I... And I don't know, you know, again, a mountain, you know, Mount Moriah, I don't have all the statistics on that, but Mount Moriah, it's not like it comes to a point and there's, you know, a three-foot square area on the top that every one of these events would have, you know, occurred in that exact spot. You know, I've been to Israel, and there's lots of spots that they'll say, well, this is where we believe this happened and that happened. Well, Mount Moriah doesn't mean that uh, if, I mean, that was the site that Abraham took uh, Isaac, but it doesn't mean that there's only one spot on the mountain that you could take somebody to sacrifice. Hmm. It doesn't mean that that threshing floor was right at the peak or whatever. So, But same general uh, area. So if you're there and you look at, at uh, the city of Jerusalem, that's Mount Moriah. So verse 19, So David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad, Verse 20, when Arana looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Uh, he, he and his sons had been in hiding. They'd seen this angel, and now David comes. Uh, and you, you have to think of this, uh, what, what you would do, you know, if the king arrived in the place. And I, I thought about this. Well, let me, let me come back to that, but... Uh, you know, you might have said, I could have come to you. Why, why are you coming to me? I mean, why didn't you just send a messenger? You know, in other words, why is the, the king pulling in my driveway? Why is the president pulling in my driveway today? And I'm sure it's as much of a surprise. But 20, let's move on to 21 because we'll come back and answer some of those questions. Arana said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David replied, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Now, I thought, uh, you know, this is interesting because David doesn't have a word from God yet. We already read just a couple of verses back that said God was grieved, and he told the angel uh, enough. God was grieved over the calamity that had come, and he says enough, so it's already stopped. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if David doesn't know that it's stopped or if he's just building the altar after the fact to give thanks for it. But he says here, I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. So I'm not sure, you know, and sometimes we say almost jokingly, well, I guess I didn't need to pray anyway because, you know, because somebody, somebody got better, I guess I didn't even need to pray. You know, and that's a joke. It's like, well, yeah, that's why they're better. <laughs> uh, but in this case, David could say, well, I guess I didn't need to build an altar. God already stopped the plague, you know. But um, 
but the question of why is is David or why is is uh, David pulling in the driveway basically? Why is David walking up here? Why would the the president of the United States pull into my driveway? And I don't care who, uh, you know, you could get political. Well, I wouldn't want this president to pull in my driveway, you know. But you could pick your favorite president, right? You know. Why? Why are they? Why do they, I'd still, you know? I, I'd still be scared if Obama came rolling up into my driveway. I know well, not, not Christians don't like him, but I mean, you know, that, that value. Right. There'd be fear. There'd yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Secret Service pulls in, and the big black limos pull in, and uh, you know, you'd have to wonder. And, and I'm sure, you know, in this case, I mean, it's a whole different thing. But David doesn't just walk around, you know, coming up to somebody at their threshing floor while they're working it'd be you know me on my job site someplace mm-hmm. and uh, the president just pulls up and that's the closest thing we have today in trying to relate to a king yeah but um i think you know i i wish i could i was looking for it the other day and i couldn't find it but in a book someplace there was a chapter called the art of altar building and i couldn't find that and it, and it wasn't the art of altar building in the sense of how to build an altar you know, physically, how to make a box, you know, to pray to, or how to build an altar for the front of the church, or, uh, you know, it was in reference to building your personal altar to the Lord, yeah. you know, that, that personal place. You talked about that some on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, having that place um, to, to meet, the meeting place. And so uh, this altar, and I, I just wrote down, uh, you know, a couple of things. The way we respond many times is, you know, well, the Lord saved me. Uh, thanks. You know, I'll be on my way now. Or the Lord delivered me. Or the Lord healed me. Or He provided for me. Or He saved my family. But then it's like, okay, thanks. And we, you know, we just move on. We don't take time. We pray for an event, but we don't take time after the prayer's answered to go back to the altar and say, I'm so grateful, you know, for yeah. what for what God did. And so. You know, that art of altar building, we all need to learn uh, where to have that altar in the house, but or wherever it may be. 24-22, Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering, and here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. Uh, this is, Arana, you know, has respect for the king, whether, I don't know that he has ever met David, but he calls him my lord. He calls him the king. He says, take whatever pleases you. He says, offer it up or burn it up. Here's the oxen. Here's the threshing sledges. Here are the oxen, the ox yokes for the wood. Um, I don't know that I would respond that way if even the president knocks on my door and I'm like, you know, Mr. President, what, what do you want? You know, what does the president want today? And he says... Uh, I need to use your house for a, you know, for an altar. I need to use your house for this. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay, well, here's, you know, here's everything I've got. You can have the house and, <laughs> you know, here's the furniture. And and then I, I thought about it even in respect to uh, my occupation of building. And it, it'd be, this was Arana's not only some possessions, his livelihood. This was yeah. his threshing floor. And so even more of a sacrifice that president knocks on my door and says you know i need uh, i need to build something and i need your tools and i'm like well okay go out to the garage 
uh, everything you need out there and you don't need to bring it back. You know, if it, if it burns up or, it, you know, <laughs> we'll take whatever you need and I don't even need it back. And that's what Arana is saying to David is, you know, you can have my livelihood. I mean, I can't yeah. imagine that kind of respect yep. for God in a sense, but for David as the, as the king, we've, I mean, we've lost all of that. And, and in, then thinking about your response, and especially today, because we think, you know, with Donald Trump, I know, you know, he gave his uh, income back, but we know he's worth <laughs> millions or billions or whatever. Yeah. It would almost be for us today in that scenario, why do you want my stuff? I mm-hmm. mean, you got money, buy your own stuff. Yeah. And could Arana have not had that same attitude? You know, David, you're the, I mean, you're the king. You've got everything you could ever need. Yep. Why do you want my stuff? <laughs> you know? And he's offering to buy it. I mean, he's not, um, you know, he's not saying I need it for free and you need to give up your livelihood or or whatever. But uh, there's a couple of things, too. This is a little different. Uh, this goes back to the things that don't matter much, but as a uh, as one of those situations where people will say the Bible contradicts itself. If a, uh, anybody that had a little bit of scholarly ideas could look at this and say that this would not qualify as a legitimate sacrifice. And part of the reasons, Arana is a Gentile, so uh, Jews don't offer non-Jewish sacrifices. Uh, everything has to be kosher has to be blessed by, I remember when I was in uh, Israel, I wanted to buy one of the um, phylacteries, the little boxes that they wear, you know, on their head. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted it for, uh, you know, illustration purposes. I wasn't going to, you know, start the ritual myself. But I went and looked at one, and it's, you know, they're like two inches by two inches square with leather strap and all that. And it was 200 and some dollars. And I was like, I'm not paying $200 <laughs> to have it as an illustration. But the idea was that it was kosher. It had been blessed hmm. by a rabbi. And that's what makes, that's what puts the value on it. So I don't know if maybe the rabbi gets a little kickback. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> can you bless, yeah, I'll bless it if I get 10% of the, no, probably doesn't work that way. But um, uh, you'd need to purchase everything from a Jew. Uh, you can't use used wood for sacrifice. In other words, it would need to be, you know, wood chopped down off the tree, not wood that had been molded into something else and then uh, burnt. And so, uh, but the reasons, there's a couple of reasons it became legitimate. Uh, Arana had converted to Judaism, so we know that and we'll see that coming up. Uh, we don't know that everything there that he was offering was used products. He may have had things uh, hanging there that were new products. And the bot, but the bottom line to to all of this, if you want to argue, you know, again, if you're that scholar that's looking at some of this and says, well, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't qualify because of this rule and this regulation, it goes back to uh, the instructions had come to David from Gad and from God, because it says, so David went up as the Lord had commanded through Gad, so it was coming through both of them, man's laws are subject to God's laws. Mm-hmm. And so even if all the stuff, even if you couldn't find legitimate things 
in there to make this sacrifice legitimate. It becomes legitimate because God said to do it. Yeah. And so uh, I attribute that to going to Mexico, taking Bibles in. And it, it cost him something, would it, right? right? I mean, apart from that, there's clearly a cost right. that he paid. Right. This is not a relative. I'm trying to figure out how to relate this story to this, but I, I, I'm a sports guy. So mm-hmm. I was reading about Robert Kraft, owner of the Patriots. Right. Uh, eliciting sex mm-hmm. in Florida and these kind of things. And they're like, what are they going to do to punish him right. for this? And so the maximum fine in the NFL, uh, the last time there's Jim Ursay of the Indi- Indianapolis Colts. He had some substance issues mm-hmm. and things like that. And he was fined six games and $500,000. And that's kind of like the maximum right. uh, fine. And they're saying, okay, we'll give that to Robert Kraft. And then uh, a sports anchor was like, for him, He's worth six billion dollars right. uh, in, in that ballpark. So for for him, that fine would be the equivalent of probably three to four dollars to someone like us. Right, right. Saying okay, we're here, you know for your sin. Okay, three to four dollars. And I know we we don't pay to get rid of our sins. It's already been paid for. Right. But this issue of sacrifice, the cost. I was just thinking about that as you're sharing through that. You know right. that. Are we, are we giving legitimate sacrifices? Are we giving ourselves completely to God? Are we counting the cost? Right. I heard somebody talking this week on, on uh, I'm sorry I've been cheating on you. I listen to other podcasts. But, <laughs> but I heard somebody talking That's about, good. you know, with uh, um, money in the church, there's tithes, there's offerings, and then there's sacrificial offerings, you know. And I'd never really thought about it being divided into three categories but that is true mm-hmm. and and that's what david says here and and it's even um well let's just read on 24 23 says oh oh king arana gives you all or gives all this to the king arana also said to him may the lord your god accept you and in the king james and in the hebrew it says Uh, Let me read the King James. All these things did Arana as king give to the king. So Arana is a Jebusite king. So it's not like he's this poor man, you know, out there uh, threshing wheat or whatever. And in the Hebrew it says, King Arana gave everything to the king. So he was a Jebusite uh, king. They had been... uh, removed from the from the land at one point but he's a convert to judaism and so uh that's again that goes back to that thing he's not a gentile technically uh, because he had converted back you know the whole issue of jews and gentiles you have jews gentiles are everybody else you know Mm -hmm. i was i used to think when i was a kid that a jew was you know this really good person and a gentile was this really evil person or something but right. <laughs> it's just very simply a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew, has nothing to do with what kind of life that they live. So, um, but he gave uh, everything. So, just because you have a shofar, you're not a Jew, okay? Right. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, I've got a prayer shawl and stuff, too. So, I'm closer than you are because I got <laughs> Yes, a, you are. I got two things. So, um, but and uh, I, I love the thought here because he says, let me just read it again. O king, Arana gives you gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. It would be like us saying, I will pray for you. So 
uh, I can sit across the table. You know, we were just talking about the Teen Challenge. I'll pray for you. You pray for me, mm-hmm. uh, kind of thing. But it, this, it, it was a little different wording, and I, I love this because I don't know how many of us actually pray this way. But I can tell you, I can say, I will pray for you. So whatever issues, you know, I can pray for you as pastor that the Lord gives you wisdom to lead the church. Mm-hmm. I can pray for you. But this is also saying, uh, may the Lord your God accept you. In other words, may your prayers be answered. I'm going to pray that the prayers that you pray will be answered. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's just a whole new thought to me about praying. Yeah, because I think I have to, in other words, I think I have to know all of your issues to pray for you. Mm-hmm. So I have to know, you know, you share with me that you struggle with this and this, and, you know, you give me this list of things that I pick up on that I can tell, or I have a general list of things to pray because I know as a pastor, you know, pastors have struggles. So, uh, you know, I can say, okay, I need to pray about those things. But I think it's another issue for me to say, on top of all that, on top of all these things I pray, I'm going to pray that your prayers yeah, that's are answered. Good. So Simple. it's paying it forward. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pray for your prayers. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, like where are we time-wise here? Uh, can we wrap up with 24? Do one more there? Or? Yep. But the king replied to Arana, verse 24, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. First uh, Chronicles 21:24 says, paying the full price, uh, and in other words, paying what it's worth. We want to serve at the least cost. We want to make our sacrifices. What's the least? Uh, kind of like when we were talking about the plagues. Which one would hurt me the least? Mm-hmm. You know, which one would affect me the least? Um, you know, if we give money or time or whatever the case may be, we figure out usually which thing is the least cost, uh, which thing is the least amount of sacrifice. Um, it, it, I, I looked at it a little bit like, um, like fasting. I could come in here and say, I fast breakfast seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And somebody says, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty good. You're fasting every day. You fast breakfast. You know what? I don't eat anyway. Right. <laughs> I don't eat breakfast. Yep. Uh, you know, that sacrifice costs me nothing. Yes. So if I come in here and want to brag about that, I can say, you know, I fast seven days a week. Well, yep. I don't eat breakfast anyway, so <laughs> that's not, there's no sacrifice with yeah. that. And, and I know, you know, you still might pray and do extra during that time, but, um, and I, I always translate some of these dollar amounts. Fifty shekels, really, in our time, is not much money. It's two hundred ninety-three dollars. That's the price of silver a couple of days ago. Um, the the um, in First Chronicles it says six hundred shekels. So again, there's a big difference between fifty and six hundred. But the Torah, which is the Jewish uh, commentary, the Jewish study on these things, says he they. Uh, collected 50 from each tribe is where they came up, uh, 12 tribes, so they came up with 600 oh, okay. shekels. 600 shekels still is only $3,519, so in our money. So, you know, a lot of times we're all so impressed by 
you know, transferring money and say, oh, man, that'd be a billion dollars today. Mm-hmm. But it just says he's paying what it's worth. He's not paying, you know, three times the price. Aruna's, Aruna's not expecting three times the price. Uh, so it, it's just David insisting on, I will pay what it's worth. Hmm. You know, uh, I it, again, you go back to the president knocking on my door and if my house is worth 200 and I'm like, man, he's the president. He's got a lot of money. I'll, <laughs> right. I'll take 400 for it, you know, and I'd sell it in a second for that. Right. But uh, so maybe each one, uh, each tribe would feel like there was something that they were involved in, uh, in the sacrifice if they were collecting from each one of the tribes. And then there's a uh, belief that um, the temple would belong to everyone at some point. So... They believe this money was strictly for the just that spot, that threshing floor, the ox, the yoke, uh, those kind of things, and that later there would be a bigger price paid for the land around that for the temple because mm-hmm. obviously the threshing floor spot yeah. is not a big enough spot to build a temple, and so later there would be more money that was paid for the rest of it. So Arana's mm-hmm. not getting cheated you know, because we yeah. look at this like, well, that's not very much money. You know, <laughs> the six hundred thirty-five hundred dollars might not be too bad for. I don't know what the price. <laughs> I don't know what the going price mm-hmm. is for a threshing floor, but um, and you know, you've been in the uh, the church a long time. I've been in the church a long time. You've heard a lot of different pastors, and and I don't know if you've preached that message, but I don't know how many messages I've heard on that phrase. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Mm-hmm. And so there is a part of giving that's sacrificial. You yep. know, tithing, yeah. is, tithing is, I hate to say mandatory, but mm-hmm. uh, tithing is off the top, you know, expected giving. And then there's offerings, and we all give offerings, but we even kind of calculate that on, you know, what I can afford to give on top of my, Yep. Uh, tithe that I give, but then there's that time where does it did it really hurt you? You know, yeah. did it really cause you to have to have faith to give that amount of money? Yeah, I I share this story because it's it's long removed now, so I don't feel like it's uh, arrogant to share this story. But I'm, I don't remember if you or someone else, but I, I was talking about that sacrificial offerings, uh, and I think and and I can't necessarily prove this biblically, but I, I believe blessing comes from, so like for me, I give a tithe. I have to, um, cause I, I literally have to, to right. the district office <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to right. keep my credentials. I give to missions. Right. Uh, so, you know, now I'm 12 to 15% in, in mm-hmm. my income of what I'm giving per year. Uh, but then, uh, we give beyond that too, at times to missionaries and right. evangelists and things like that. But when I was in college, uh, we had, uh, I was working part-time, Rachel's working full-time, where even when I was going to college at North Central, it was 16000 a year mm-hmm. uh, at the time, and we were trying to pay cash for everything, and we're living in a ghetto third-bedroom apartment, and we uh, went to a friend of mine who was preaching in the area, and he had several, he was an evangelist, and so that night, God challenged us to give $1,000 to him as a mm-hmm. college student, you know, as a college student to give $1,000 in our offering to me, I mean, that would literally be the equivalent today in my life, my financial life, probably giving maybe like $15,000, right. 20,000 uh, today. Right. That, that's how it would be the equivalent for me today. 
And that was overwhelming to give that sacrifice, to give that offering. Right. But we went ahead and did it anyway, and then go through the year. Now, now we're really behind uh, overall right. what we thought we'd be. And by the end of that semester, we pay. I fully pay for that semester. Everything's fine. All all needs were met, and God provided. And it was just a great example of it, when you give a sacrificial offering, there is a blessing there. Right. And there has to you have to be careful to hear from the Lord in that because we live in wacky days. So there right. could be some crazy preacher that says, you know, send me ten thousand bucks and you're going to get blessed and right. those kind of things. It wasn't that for us. It wasn't to get blessed. It was really hearing God's voice saying we need to give this sacrificial offering with no anticipation of getting blessed. Mm-hmm. You know, the anticipation was, well, I'm going to have to take out another $1,000 in a loan or right. <laughs> whatever it was at the time. But all that of, of continually putting ourselves in positions. The issue to me is put, uh, how can we today continue on a regular basis to put ourselves in positions where we have to trust God? Right. I, the same guy I heard preaching this week talking about uh, giving and I had never heard it from this angle, but in Malachi where it says, will a man rob God? And the question was, well, rob God of what? He's got everything. What, what would we be <laughs> taking from God? And his point was, will we rob God from an opportunity to bless us? Because yeah. we didn't give, we don't get blessed. We robbed God of an opportunity to bless. And I'll real quick, I know we're done, but... Um, I, years ago, and we're talking about past again, so we're not bragging on something I did the other day, but when we built the addition on this church, I uh, wanted to do, I, I just felt, I wanted to do something big. You know, I didn't want to just figure out what I could afford, and so uh, we made a commitment, and I said, when I sold my house that I was living in, I would give all the profit from that house mm-hmm. to that building. It was twenty five thousand dollars, and yeah. so it, I mean that hurt because that twenty five <laughs> is generally what I right. would take when I sold a house. I would take that, reinvest it into the next house, hopefully to get a house paid for someday. Yeah, and so that was my my plan for finances, and I gave that twenty five thousand dollars on the building fund. And again, you never know what God's going to do. I mean, we like to think. I mean, it says you know God will press down, shaken together, running mm-hmm. over. You know hundred times over and but it wasn't very long after that till I I had my real estate license at the time and I sold a a real estate deal that was one and a half million it was some duplexes Mm -hmm. and I sold one and a half million my commission was about twenty five thousand dollars so yeah people need to hear those stories I I mean you know we have to I know we have to share them carefully but uh, and sometimes it's nerve-wracking oh I don't want to tell people about my finances or whatever but people need to hear those stories because they're true they're real Um, it's really what God does and we really need to learn how to give sacrificially more and more in our lives right we do David taught us a lesson there I won't give anything that doesn't cost me something all right, so go to gracepointag.org. There's a giving link there. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and just give loads of money and right. those kind of things. Um, I actually listened to one of my favorite YouTubers of the day. He read an article on uh, does money solve all your problems? He's like, yes, 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 it does. <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, hey, God bless you guys. Let those thoughts challenge you today, encourage you, and help you to live daily for Jesus Christ. We'll talk to you next time.